You are listening to The Fox, a podcast novel written and read by Arlene Radaski. Chapter 10, Jana, 75 A.D., June Spirits haunted me day and night. I was afraid to be alone. With Celius's and Herald's care, my body was healing. My mind was not. My blood wound came, thank Marigna. I was not carrying his child. I hobbled, walking aided with a stick while my leg wound healed. I spent most of my time in Finley Smithy, or his home with Eric, his wife. I needed to rest where I blended into the background. In the house, Eric managed their five children. She seemed to always be in motion. Her four girls helped with the chores and watched the baby boy. Now, ten moons old, he was beginning to walk. I tried to hold him, but he wiggled out of my arms faster than I could move to catch him. He made me smile when it hurt to smile. The toddler, Brock, looked both like his mother and his father. His father's sky-blue eyes sparkled with the laughter that bubbled out of him, and his mother's blonde hair was just becoming thick enough to be seen on his head. Whenever Finley came into his house, he would smile and rub the boy's head as if making sure he was still there. After four girls, he had finally had a boy child, and I saw his pride. "'I will make his first sword and take him hunting,' he said. He will make a fine warrior for the chieftain. My girls will marry warriors and hunters. I can ask no more from the gods. Henrik, my other cousin, Finley's older brother, was now our chieftain. I spent little time in his dwelling. He and his family had moved into Bethan's house. His wife, Katrin, managed the two boys, the feeding of the family, and all the warriors and the others who came to eat with the chieftain. I could not help as much as I had earlier, and I felt underfoot. There was another reason I did not go there. Bethan was in every corner, and I saw blame in the eyes of the men, now Kenrick's warriors. I did not have the energy to work at the hospice. Silius, Heralt, and I would discuss the illnesses, injuries, and treatments. They followed what I suggested in Laverne's absence. I was also unwilling to sit and weave with my mother. She wore the grief of losing Bethan in her eyes, but even worse, I saw Laverne in our home. Laverne was at the fire, mixing medicines in our room, and drinking mead at the table. I could not sleep in our bed. His scent was gone. Most nights I trembled in a corner by the loom, the putrid smell of the badger filling my nose. In my mind I went back to the hut, wondering if I could have stopped him in some way. The gods did not give me an answer to this never-ending question. Confusion, always nearby, reigned over me. Mother spoke of Laverne coming home. She missed the druid and his medicines. I prayed for and dreaded his return. My passage dream had alerted him, and he was coming, I was sure. But when he arrived, how could I tell him that the other man who had taken me also beheaded our chieftain, his friend Bethan? Even that seemed a small concern when I worried about how he could still love me after my taking. Another man had used me. 
The idea of Bethan's gift had started the day I sat near Finley's stone workbench on a small wooden stool. Buckets of water stood ready for dunking the hearth-heated metal. Pieces of leather used to work bronze were lying on the bench. Tools hung from the beams or lay on the ground near the hearth. Here Finley had crafted the small oak pins that Bethan declared represented our family. He honed and engraved Bethan's swords on this workbench, the blades now buried with Bethan. He made plows and sharpened knives here. I felt safe. The heat, the smell of charcoal, and the rush of work in the smithy wrapped around me like a woolen shield. Finley had started work on a bronze bowl the day before. I watched him hammer the metal into shape, and pictures drew themselves in my head. What will it look like when you finish? I have no design in mind. Finley stopped hammering and reached for a mug of mead. How would you decorate it? I would use an oak tree and its acorns. I picked up a stick and drew it in the dust on the floor. A shaft of sunlight streamed through the hole in the wall of the smoky room to the center of my picture. There are strong branches, able to carry many responsibilities. Here acorns, ready to grow into adults, and finally the heart of the oak. Pure. It burns with the fierce heat of bravery. As I traced the tree, I cried for the first time. I cried for Bethan. I cried for the loss of my life as it had been. Finley put down his mead, walked around the workbench, and sat beside me in the dirt of the smithy floor. The alder charcoal fire in his hearth was hot on our backs. My tears mixed with his sweat as he hugged me, his heavy leather apron stiff against my face. I am sorry for Bethan's death. It was because of me. If I had not gone out that day, Bethan would be here, I sobbed into his shoulder. Bethan died saving your life. But remember, Jonna, he died in battle as a chieftain. He is in the next world, on the council, making decisions for others. You are the one who reminds us that we all die. Some go easily in sleep. Some go with a difficult sickness. But we sing songs about those who die in battle. I looked into his face, his misty eyes belying the words of his strength. I have started a song for Bethan that will keep his memory alive for many generations, he said. Our clan will remember him as long as we are a clan. A song? I stuttered. My tears stopped. I wiped my face and nose with my dress. A song for a brave warrior. Finley stood up and shook out his tunic, lifting the wet spot I had created on his shoulder away from him. He nodded and I continued, I would like to decorate this bowl and take it to Bethan. Will you teach me to work the metal? Yes, I will teach you. The tattoos you design are good. The tree you drew in the dirt will give honor to the bowl and be a fitting gift to Bethan. He picked up the bowl he was working on and said, I promised this one to Darach. He has given me woven wool so my girls can make new dresses. They grow too quickly. It is a gift from him to his wife for the son she gave birth to six moons ago. He walked over to a storage chest and lifted out a bar of metal. I have just enough bronze to make another bowl for the honor gift to Bethan. You will engrave it and we will take it to Bethan's tomb when you finish. Here are the tools I use for the fine work, he said and opened a leather packet. Out rolled small iron, copper, and bone tools. There were hammers and sharp picks with different shaped tips. 
I have a copper bowl that has no engraving. I use it for washing. You can use these tools to practice on that bowl. Learn how each moves the metal and leaves its mark. Learn how you can make them different. Our last smith had fashioned a large copper bowl that Finley brought to me. Picking up several tools, he demonstrated. Hold this one, like this, and gently tap. Do not pierce the bowl, or you will be hammering it back into shape, he laughed. I turned the bowl over in my hands, feeling every bump and wrinkle. I said a prayer to Dogza, asking for the energy to create my picture, and began with one small tap. Small nicks and scratches happened at first, but I got used to the way of the tools and became sure of myself. I worked without lifting my head, lost in the bowl. Several days later, Finley lined the second unfinished bowl with a piece of leather and used small taps to create a finish that reflected shards of firelight around the room. It is beautiful, I said, holding it in my hands gently as if it would break. I gave it back to him. He laid it on his hearth. He went to his small altar near the hearth and knelt to say a prayer to the smith's goddess Brigitte. I kneeled beside him and prayed to Belle to inspire me with the skill to complete my work, to Brigitte to thank her for the bowl, and to Morigna to ease my panic and fears. We both rose and Finley carried the bowl back to the workbench. I brought over the two nearby stools and we sat. Finley picked up the copper bowl I had practiced on and looked at it silently. He turned it from the scratches I had created in the beginning to the design covering the other side. What is this? I have seen it on the bag the druid carries. It is a labyrinth. See how it leads to the center and back? It is a path from the center of the earth to the gods. Laverne brought it with him from his home, and he taught me to use it. I stopped talking for a moment and remembered my finger tracing the path in my head. It helped me escape most of the pain of the taking. I did not tell him that I had not been able to use it since. Reminded of my trials, he searched my face. Was he looking for signs of lunacy? As if reaching a decision in my favor, his face relaxed and he nodded. Hmm, he grunted. He put the copper bowl aside and picked up the bronze. I know you will create an honorable design. We can make the trip to place it in his tomb when you are finished. In two days, I engraved the design of the oak onto the bowl. I tapped leaves on the strong branches that spread around its circumference. I scratched lines on the acorns. I carved my heart into the heart of the tree. When I stopped to look at it, memories of Bethan flooded my mind. I remembered when he brought food and peat to my mother and me when the snow was deep. When I was small, he lifted me to his shoulders to carry me through the mud. He helped repair our loom when it was overused. I gave thanks to the goddess that Bethan had been a part of my life. Now the bowl honored his life as a caring Kionkirch of our clan, as well as my uncle. Pleased with my work, I turned it over in my hands. It was time to show Finley. He was fitting a new buckle to Kenrick's war chariot's leather harness. Kenrick wanted all Bethan's harnesses for his ponies and chariots repaired. Bethan had worn them to breaking. My breath held in anticipation of what he thought, I walked over to him. He cooled the buckle in a bucket of water. Hot steam rose, and he cautioned me to wait. He went to the labyrinth bowl, washed his hands, and walked back to me, wiping his hands on his tunic. He raised the hem of his garment to sop the sweat from his face. 
As he raised his shirt, his strong belly muscles rippled. A picture flashed through my consciousness. Laverne's smooth belly and chest. Gripped with a longing for him, I inhaled through closed teeth and silently begged for him to hurry. Come home to me. Heal me, I prayed, and forgive me. Finley took the bowl and looked at it, for what seemed to me time enough to grow a new beard. He turned it over and around, carried it to the door, used the sun for light, and came back to the workbench. I could not read his face. He picked up a piece of very soft leather, a bucket of water, and a small jug of fine creek sand. First, dipping the leather into the water, he touched it to the sand and began to polish the bowl. Use a gentle circle movement. He handed it to me, nodded, and said, It is a good and fitting gift for Bethan. I was proud and pleased. Can we take it soon? If Kenrick allows, tonight I will show it to him and the warriors. I will ask if others want to accompany us to Bethan's tomb to place it. I heard the music and laughter echo through the lodges late into the night from the evening meals gathering. Just before dawn, Finley knocked on my door. I was awake. I opened the door, and he stood swaying, silhouetted by the moon. He spent his night drinking and singing his song, regaling Bethan's heroic deeds. I heard you sing your new song repeatedly last night. It must be liked by the men. Yes, I will teach it to you on the journey. We will have plenty of time. We are readying to go to the tomb. The tomb? We will make the trip today, I thought. There are four of us, including you, he said. Kenrick is coming and bringing his son, Logan. He is old enough to leave his mother now. We are loading the ponies. Come to the stable soon. Be sure to take food, my mother whispered into my ear. All those men will bring is mead. They must always be reminded that there are things that satisfy a hunger other than mead, she said with a smile, and then coughed blood. I described the bowl to my mother last night before she slept. Her eyes misted, and she said, It is a good gift to take my brother. His spirit is walking at night. I see him sometimes in torment. I think he is disturbed at the way he died. He holds his head in his hands, and tears fall from his eyes. Maybe this will comfort him. She nodded and mused, with her fingers resting on her lips. Yes, it is good that you are doing this. Her agreement did not take the heavy guilt from my back. Finley, Kenrick, Little Logan, and his wolfhound, Mialku, were at the stable gathered around the impatient, stomping ponies. Logan, at six sun cycles, was Kenrick's oldest and looked through his father's gray-blue eyes. His mother's blonde hair was tied back with a short piece of leather. His feet were in one place, but his body bounced all over the stable. I stood and watched, amazed at how he could move, yet not move. Small boys were to be watched and kept from harm, but not understood by adults. Kenrick asked whether Logan could ride with me. He was too small for his own pony on such a long journey. Our supplies, Kenrick's and Finley's swords and shields, were strapped to the rumps of their ponies. There was no room there for Logan. I will be honored to ride with the grandson of Bethan. I will tell him stories of his grandfather, I said. I wore my leather pouch, decorated with a labyrinth Laverne had drawn. I tied my dirk to my belt, and a short sword that had been Bethan's hung across my chest. 
It was a gift from Kenrick when I walked again. It had hung in Bethan's lodge. Kenrick told me to use it for protection. It lay well balanced and not heavy in my hand. With it, I would kill the next man who hurt me. Finley handed me the bowl wrapped in soft doe skin, and I slipped it into the bodice of my dress. My corded belt held it in place. I used a small stool to mount the pony and swung my leg over its back with a grimace. Logan was boosted up. I hoped for some peace as he began to wriggle and grope for a place to hang on. We rode one in front of the other down the trail to the lake. Logan was unsettled, so to quiet him for a few moments I started a story. I remember when I was your age, your grandfather, my uncle, would throw me into the air. I loved it, but mother hated it. She was sure he would drop me. I would cry until she gave in. He would throw me up one more time and catch me. Then he kissed my mother on her cheek and told me to run and play with Kenrick, your father. He was a good man, your grandfather. We are a stronger people because of him. That is why we make this journey. Logan told me his stories of when Bethan tossed him into the air, too. His mother reacted the same as mine. I miss my grandfather, said Logan. Yes, so do I, I said. Bethan's ball began its journey. Please join me again for another chapter of The Fox by Arlene Radaski. Now enjoy the music of Steve McDonald's song, Live On My Warrior Son, from his Sons of Summerlet album. His music can be found at www.etherian.com, who along with Steve have allowed me to use this music in my podcasts. Learn more about The Fox at www.radasky.com. For I'll never see you again And I'll never please you again Live on Live on Yeah. Mm-hmm.